everybody, it's Megs. And I'm Wenny. And we are the Better Art Bureau. Our mission is to support, explore, and showcase underground art and culture in Vancouver and around the world. The Better Art Bureau represents a group of individuals who've decided to live their lives authentically by following their passion through art and creativity. We're here to give artists a platform to share their story. Better conversation, better culture, better art. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Better Art Bureau podcast. On this week's episode, we sit down with musician Ketan Jogia. Him and his brother Avin, also known as St. Ivory, just released a new album called Mixed Feelings. We talk about his view on contemporary music, the struggles of writing and creating his sound, performing live, and the process behind releasing an album. But first up, here is a very special sneak peek of Ketan's new song, releasing May 11th to get you in the mood. How you doing? Good. Thanks really for having good. me. Appreciate it. Yeah, this is Megan, and then we've, of course, got a Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday over here. Um, yeah, so let's start it off. Let's tell us about yourself. All right. Uh, <laughs> working on music is what I do. I write, I compose, produce. Been working on stuff with film and ads for the last couple of years, and then just recently started working on a um, an album. Thank you guys for coming out to this. Uh, <laughs> People are loving it, uh, which is nice. It's moving people a lot, which is the intention and the content. It's like sort of uh, asking the, the listener to ask questions of themselves, find their identity, etc. So people are, you know, feeling that, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. How would you describe your music, like the sound? I always like group it in alternative R&B, but mm-hmm. I think that that's sort of everyone says that now. I think, yeah, people are like, oh, yeah, I do alternative R&B. I'm like, it's like everything. Um, (laughs) But I think it it, I think it is. It's just it just uh, moves around a lot. So it has sort of ideas that we've pulled from like Tyler, the creator and like kind of like those big sort of intense sort of synthetic synth sounds. um, And uh, and yeah, they're just kind of all over the map a little bit. My favorite part about Ketten's music is how unique his sound is. With the combination of synth and spoken word, a whole new style of music is created. So what was it that inspired this very distinctive new sound? The album itself is called Mixed Feelings. It's based off of a book my brother wrote, um, a book of poetry um, that he did last year. He did interviews uh, across the world, online, offline, with people who identified as sort of mixed backgrounds, sort of racial background. He then took their stories that they had about themselves, about their family, whatever it may be, uh, and then wrote poetry based on those submissions that they put in, and then also based on his experiences and our family, myself included. So the book served as sort of a, uh, a landing place for people who have mixed backgrounds that don't necessarily know how to navigate what that looks like growing up and whether they want to take on those identities and what that looks like. So that was what the book was. And then he was like, okay, well, let's make a musical arrangement that pairs with this book. So then I got to work on building sort of the sound. He got to work on taking some of his favorite poems that he thought would work well for the for the musical aspect and we kind of just paired them together and then we started writing together the poems that are in there the spoken word part that you're talking about Mm -hmm. most of them are poems pulled from the book then readapted a little bit Um, so yeah that's kind of like a different little different way of doing it shut up how long did it take like how from coming up with the idea 
to now releasing it a week ago how like i'm always amazed yeah. like sometimes people do it yeah i did this in a month i'm sometimes it takes years and years and years for people to put stuff together so the idea came to fruition very quickly i would say within two or three months we had it locked in written recorded mixed mastered sort of done the songs that i had chose sort of to put in um, some of those projects that I was working on were from years ago that I sort of adapted and changed and made them sort of a little bit different. So I'd say it's a combination of some songs that took like I did like five years ago. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is a great song. Let's yeah. just pull this out and put it in here. When we finished the actually doing the mix and master of the album, which was, I think, probably in October, we then were like, oh, it's going to take forever to do visuals. That was like really our biggest problem. And that's where um, that's why we had such a delay, I think, on trying to get it done. What do you mean by visuals? Like for the... I album think, cover or what? Like, yeah, well, that's like sort of the the need. You need yeah. that. But nowadays, visuals are as important, uh, sometimes even more important, depending on what you're doing and what brand you're trying to sell for the music you're working on. Um, because we live in such a, we've always lived in such a visual world, you know, with Instagram and stuff. You have to like create a brand that makes sense and people mm -hmm. have to be What involved. made it so hard to commit to one sort of like, or like think of the visual kind of aspect of that? I think we had uh, the... We had so many ideas, and to try to lock in on one one and to commit to one is difficult. I think a lot especially of too. I'm imagining if you said you were writing some of these songs five years ago, obviously you've evolved and your sound has evolved and all of this stuff. So it would maybe be hard, yeah, to take something you did five years ago. Obviously, you're in a different time and place and space and all that stuff, and to now have to yeah adapt yeah, it I, to your own personal life now. When I do write music, actually, I do think of visuals while I'm writing music. So, I, you know, think about music videos, ideas that I think would be cool for this or even the little mini vignettes that I think, oh, this would be really great. And then, yeah, years later, you're like, OK, that changed completely. 180. Right. So, yeah, um, we were navigating all that. And then uh, we went on tour as well. So that was another thing, too, that happened. So kind of we had a couple things delay us in our release. And we're doing this all ourselves. So there's no one really. We have no label. We have no management. When you say we, who is we? You me and my brother. brother. Yeah. Brother. Yeah, yeah. Saint Ivory is me and my brother. He's a musician too. Poet, yeah. Musician, yeah. author. What? Oh, he does it all. Does it all. He does it all. Yeah. He yeah. does it all. Um, he's been writing music with me since we were kids. So we just kind of finally figured out our sound together, which was always our, our, our problem. We're not a problem, but just like a journey. Back in 2012, Ketton and his brother were in London producing a folk style EP, which never really came to fruition. So this album, Mixed Feelings, is the first time they've been able to create, produce, and release something together proving that while coming up with an idea for a project can be difficult, actually completing it can be even harder. I find finishing projects to be the most difficult oh, thing. Oh, it's so hard. I think that most artists, what doesn't matter what medium you're in, yeah. knowing when uh, when it's finished um, is like the hardest thing to do. You're like, okay, it's done. And then you're like, you open up the project like three months later, you're like, no, no, but if I added this other thing that I just realized that you can add trumpets to this, it'd be mm -hmm. amazing. And then you do it and it's like shit. You're like, fuck, all right. <laughs> pull back but then you already you're in a creative space so you i find like for myself i i know that i'll start on something and i want to finish it but then i'll have another idea for something else and then i'll yeah. start on that yeah. idea and you just have a bunch of oh. unfinished work. Yeah. 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 yeah 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 exactly which is fine and, and i actually having that you can pull from later that's kind of yeah. why, why when we came to do this album a lot of those projects were unfinished projects from before that i was like oh this would work perfectly or even just one little phrase like you'd pull one of the stems out of like a piano or like a drum loop and you're like i love the sound of this it doesn't work with the project that i've created years ago it will work perfect with this new thing that we're doing and that's the beauty of digital production i think is that 
the versatility of that. Where does your creative space start? Like, does it start on the computer? Does it start in a journal? Does it start in your head? Does it start on the train? Like, when you have, like, do you have, like, a space that you are in and you're just, like, that's your creative kind of atmosphere? Yeah, good question. I think that when I get the most creative is I just I just sit down and I just go for it in front of the computer. That's kind of like the, the jump off point. But I think if I remember how my production sort of gets to that point, like when I get to sitting down, it's usually just like days and days of like passive thoughts, passive kind of, yeah. stuff like, yeah. And like even sometimes months, I've had moments where I've, I haven't even touched the computer for a month. And it's inspirational things that I've been working on or like thinking about stuff. And then I'll, yeah, I will use my notes in my phone. And I'll go, okay, you know, this is an uh, interesting idea. Let's record um, the sound of this bell or this chime here and then like sample it back and I'll write that down. I may mean, never do it, but I'll write it down so that I know when I get to my computer, I can try it out for this song. Have you ever like, I mean, have you ever, of course you've experienced like writer's block. Oh yeah. When you have the writer's block, that's usually because you, for me, I'm not connecting with those passive inspirational moments so i'm thinking too much about the project i'm putting too much down and i'm trying too hard maybe so it's about like pedaling back and going okay you're trying way too hard pedal back take a walk even take a weekend just go and like go and walk in nature for a little bit go into the trees for a little bit or something do something that's not this that you're stuck with and then come back to it with completely fresh ears writer's block was a term introduced in the 1940s by a psychoanalyst named edmund burglar over the course of 20 years, he studied writers to determine what was causing this creative blockage and what could be done about it. His recommended course of action was therapy, and he wasn't far off. Years later, after studies conducted at Yale University, it was found that writer's block is largely caused by ego, loneliness, depression, self-criticism, and one's inability to find motivation or originality. With the practice of different forms of therapy, like writing in a dream journal or mental imagery, Many participants in the studies were able to find their self-confidence and enjoy writing again. So Ketten is right. Take a break. Along with physically removing yourself, practicing mindfulness or creative visualization are great ways to escape and eventually get back on track. Where does the like emote like is your songs or your music like very emotive like where does that kind of emotion stem from like you're saying this one is mainly poetry around being a kid and when you were younger and the diversity and adversity and stuff like that is that something that's like a frequent kind of emotion you feel in most of your music or is it through heartbreak or when you're happy or like uh, for this particular project it was based on a theme and a narrative like there was definitely something that was very clear and concise and so we stuck to that like my brother's experiences, my experiences. So they came from, it did, did come from that for sure. After working on it for like six or three months and then four months after that as well, you start, you kind of disconnect a little bit from the from the narrative because you, yeah. you, you're, you're hearing it and you're listening to it all the time, but then you revisit it back again. But for me, heartbreak, loss, I think those are traditional um, places to pull from. Is being in a vulnerable place kind of, I don't even know the word, like, make that music go farther or the writing go farther or the yeah. production go farther is that in a, when you're in an emotional space very vulnerable position that's kind of where it starts or before i write a song i usually feel very um, tense and like almost trapped a little bit like kind of bottled a little bit i can't figure out a way to get it out and so when i then get to writing it about a theme or a concept that is the reason why i'm trapped or bottled um then I, and i can get it down on paper or I get it on on the computer then i know that i've finish the I've, I've, so yeah therapeutic you just kind of get it out there and I think yeah. that's again very traditional for a lot of artists in general but it definitely works I mean 
yeah, it's just the best way to get it out. And then that goes back to the other question as well before, but like, how do you finish a project? Because when you do that process of putting it down uh, on the computer or on the paper, on paper, you have a hard time finishing the rest of the idea because you're only, you had that emotional moment right there. So you're like, okay, well, you finished that and you haven't really, you just half finished the project, whatever. And then you go to revisit that three months later and you're like, I want to finish this song because it means something to me. And you're like, but I'm not in that same headspace that I was when I created that song. Do you find you relive it? Do you find like when you I go have a hard back time, there? I have a hard time going back to it because mm-hmm. it's such a acute, specific moment that happened. And that's how I got the it out. So actually, funny enough, that's why I think that one of the biggest things that I learned from writing for many years is that not all projects go out. Actually, like 99.9%. <laughs> You're actually what you're doing when you're writing and you're having those emotional moments is you're kind of flexing. You're 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 working on something. You're practicing how to be vulnerable. You're practicing how to be emotional um, in those moments. I think that's kind of the bread and butter of that. Music is hard to create without emotion. Songs are written about love, death, and other life experiences. But Wednesday brought up a good point. It must be frustrating as an artist to be vulnerable enough to write songs about your own life turmoils and then listen to music playing on the radio that's not necessarily emotive. There really is these two, I mean, I never want to put music into any like major categories, but there really is sort of a dividing line between stuff that has a particular type of depth and is supposed to reach something with a a particular narrative and stuff that has more face value, surface value stuff. Now, both could be talking about interesting things and both come from the artist's uh, emotion and raw passion, potentially, I don't know, always, but um, it just, the audience is different. Kenton's right. There's a lot of music out there and it all serves a purpose. But there's not just diversity in styles of music, there's an evolution of artists themselves. Take Bob Dylan, for example. He started off as a folk artist, but when he began using the electric guitar and his sound progressed into that of rock and roll, people at his concerts started booing and actually throwing things on stage in protest. Then you have the Beatles, arguably the most influential pop band of all time. When they split in 1970, John Lennon and George Harrison both went on to produce politically and spiritually charged albums that were very different from the upbeat 1960s style of the Beatles that everyone knew and loved. So this begs the question, who do artists make music for? Themselves or the audience? Songs that came out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a good rendition of that song. Something about brushing your teeth with a fucking bottle of Jameson or something. TikTok or something. Wash, mouthwash. But it's something to do with dental hygiene. And Now let's take a look at the evolution of modern mainstream musicians, like Lady Gaga or Kesha. What you just heard was our extremely well-executed cover of Kesha's hit song, TikTok, that came out back in 2009. Back then, Kesha's music was very poppy, let's get drunk and party themed. But in 2017, after a five-year hiatus, she came out with a solo single, Praying. The song was written about what she had to overcome after a 2013 rape lawsuit against her former music producer. The follow-up album, Rainbow, was a lot more emotionally stimulating than the dance pop style music she originally came out with. This evolution can also happen in reverse. Wednesday brings up Beth Hart, one of her favorite musicians of all time. At one point, she does a live performance and she's a fucking mess, like a mess, like super on everything you can imagine, tough time, but there's so much emotion in her song. Fast forward five years, she plays the same song and it's more like, it's not 
for herself anymore. And I think like you can really see that in her music. Yeah, it's a great, great example of how music changes and like the emotion that happens at that moment is important. And we forget that that that's um, the performance example is perfect because, you know, you're performing the song and it's happening raw and it's very uh, new. And then later on it changes and it becomes more for the audience yeah. or whatever. Yeah. As an artist, how do you kind of adapt to that? We just did this tour. It was a mini tour combination of my brother's book reading and the music that we were trying to put out the following sort of year for the album, sorry. Uh, so yeah, doing that tour, we did 10 different cities. Almost every second day we were in a different city. The first couple of times we did our performances, we were on top of the world, very emotional, raw. And like kind of in the middle of the tour, it's kind of where we were like, Okay, this we got in. We were it's a little bit redundant. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, so, no, it's like you know, it's like just a little bit like, like, like on yeah. autopilot. A little bit, like, uh, little bit autopilot. Yeah. Like just the first couple, couple. And it didn't show. Like the, we didn't like we didn't hopefully it didn't show. Um, but because we did, so we're you know it's all still very new. But even in that little moment, the first couple ones and the last couple ones were like really, really, really yeah, emotional. Um, but it also depends on the audience too. Like yeah. sometimes the audience is just not reacting the way you either. think. Yeah. So it's it is music is such a you got to be really responsive. It's like yeah. give and take in the moment, right there in every corner. It's like that. Kenton and his brother toured in several different cities, including L.A., New York, and Toronto. What we wanted to know was where their music was most well received. Funny enough, in a tiny little bookstore on the campus of the Connecticut University, they received their favorite audience reaction. That was one of those cities where we got in and we thought, okay, this is going to be like you know. Uh, it's a small town. There's not a lot of people around. We're probably looking at like 40, 50 people will show up. Cool. You know, just a basic sort of like we've done this a couple times. Um, but it was a university place. And like, so they were like, it was wall to wall. It was like almost, it felt like two or 300 people were in there in that little small little room. And that was pretty nuts. That was a pretty like uh, well-received um, little concert. Yeah, that's got to be such a good feeling. Back in February, Wednesday and I went to a SoFar event one of many live performances featuring local artists held at random locations in Vancouver. We fell in love with the intimate atmosphere and the connection between the artist and the audience. The emotion and like the way that the music was being received, like it was just like a different, different than being like in a huge auditorium. So how does an artist like Ketten feel about performing in smaller, more intimate settings? Uh, it's nice to have that intimate sort of, you can see the people right in front of you. Yeah. There's like 10 people right in your face. You're like, wow, okay, cool. Um, but also you can test new stuff. That's another thing too that mm -hmm. I think a lot of artists do as well is that um, you, uh, if you are a bigger artist that you know you, you are doing bigger tours, you do these little mini uh, bars and clubs and stuff to test your product. You're like, okay, I'm just going to try something new here. Yeah. Tonight and, see how see it goes. Like yeah. and you can totally fuck it up and it's yeah. like still, yeah. everyone's still so excited. Well, that's yeah. another thing that I think uh, is, I've noticed is that people really don't actually give a shit either when you do fuck up. Because oh, no, the the day, day, it's almost like they love yeah, it because they get to be part of, of it. You're a human, yeah, yeah. I you're love a human being. When, I'm like, when we were at that thing and I think it was the chick was like, hey, I've never done this song before. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a part of this. This yeah. is like so fucking exciting. And it feels like you're a little bit like more of the... Like you can contribute to the art almost, like even as like a just like a bystander, yeah. Oh, for sure, and I, and and actually, you make a really great point because yeah, me and uh, me and my brother, we uh, definitely uh, had a couple of moments from our set list that we knew that we did wrong, like during yeah. the during the 
performance. But no one else knows. No one knows. No one. And also no one cares. Like no one. They're there to hear if, you know, if you're fucking up like 90% of the time. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you got to practice a little bit more, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, no people, because a lot of people, like you said, Wednesday, you're, you're not a musician. um, You're a consumer. Most of the people, I think like you obviously do get other artists and musicians out there, but you're also getting a lot of consumers that don't know the difference anyways. Right. That's true. And I feel like when you're on a smaller scale, um, people are there to support you in any way that they can. So yeah. if it's a song that you've never performed or even like spoken word, maybe it's a poem that you've never performed and you can't really memorize and you're like, oh, shit, I don't really know. It's like those people are there to support you and they're so fucking excited to be there. Um, and I think that that's really cool. And I think that that's something that kind of I hope that Vancouver is offering artists. I have no idea. There are lots of great live music venues in Vancouver, like the Railway Club, the Commodore or what used to be the Cobalt. But performing in Vancouver can be difficult, seeing as the market is fairly saturated and the crowds, well, they can be kind of tough. I really want to say that I would love to be doing, being in Vancouver and performing in Vancouver and like it be the sort of primary thing I do. I found that most of my stuff that I'm doing that's successful in any way is mostly outside of the city, which is, which I, you know, I'm uh, fortunate to say, but I'm trying to bring it back here, trying to bring it back to Vancouver. It is a hard town for that kind of thing. Um, People are doing their art and they're enjoying that process. And this place has tons of people doing very cool things. But I don't think there's a lot of places where uh, you can show that to people and then the people also want to come out and see it. If you could change that, how would you change that? Or would you change it? Like if you could see the progression of the community and the music community and maybe the live music community, Mm -hmm. what would that look like to you as an artist? It would, uh, yeah. Um, I think that you know, and this is sort of a a, a little bit opinionated in some sense, but uh, government involvement, I think, in a lot of the um, spaces that we have here in, in the city, uh, is been the major problem for a long time. People are doing like pop up food stuff, retail stuff. It almost like puts any sort of cultural movement in a box and right. goes, okay, you have to apply yeah, yeah. for these policies the process, and these red yeah. all this red tape to get to the thing you need to get to. You can't just pop up a little store on the corner mm-hmm. and then see how it goes. I'm not saying that people should do that uh, and not have some sort of process of some kind. Yeah, but it but does really put a cap on creativity, and yeah. 100%. I totally agree. I see that it, it's not just like yeah. We're, I think I'm. I've noticed that in the last couple of years, but they've been doing. Vancouver's been doing that forever since like the 80s. They've just been like, nope, nope. There's nope. even a process for like buskers, like to yeah. go and yeah. sing on Granville Street. The buskers example yeah. is one of the best examples in the city. Yeah. I think it's just sort of an isolated market where they're like, okay, well, we can make money on people get. Uh, I mean, I think that it is common for buskers to have to have a license in like the Western sort of perspective. I'm not saying that that maybe shouldn't happen uh, because whatever people decide, but they've decided to make it like so difficult. difficult. On top of the already difficult task of putting yourself on public display, there are several steps one has to take in order to perform on the street. Online application forms, in-person applications, photo IDs, and fee payments. So unless you just want to have some fun and play for free in the park, busking is not quite as simple as picking up your guitar and playing a few songs. I think that the world is missing out on a lot of amazing people and artists because we don't give them the access that they should or necessarily would have. For sure. You know what I I think it's always been a common problem for having access um, and like being able to show your work. I think it's sort of it is a global issue with art for sure. Um, But uh, we see it very much in Vancouver. Vancouver is definitely known for its laid-back, West Coast, stroll-around kits, maybe hit up the nude beach and smoke a joint kind of atmosphere. But that's not always the case. Capitalism is pretty prominent in Vancouver, 
as it is in almost all major cities. Billionaires who enlarge corporations, buy out spaces, force eviction, and raise the rent so high that artists and small business owners are unable to afford anything. I think the Vancouver split into really two major spots, which is like young free people who are trying to do something um, and uh, bureaucratic sort of government. A bunch of old white old, guys. Oh yeah, for lack of for lack of a better term, yeah. yeah. Old old money kind of like yeah. rules this town, and it's always ruled this town. Um, it's been like that since before the time, like even yeah. Expo '86. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's always been like, the, like yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Whatever. Yeah, um, I wasn't around, but you know, um, yeah, um, yeah. It's always been like that, and I think it's old money's always r- yeah. ruled this town. That's the, the the capitalist world we're living in right now, which is yeah. uh, to um, make everything a consumer product, um, and so everything is you know your food, your 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 glassware, your whatever you're doing. But now your art is the same as well. Everything, yeah, it's all consumer product. So that's why we have. I think that's why we have like pop music that I think is not necessarily sort of feels like it's like just pumped out of a machine. drip drop and it's just rap <laughs> yeah just like modern trap rap i yeah. love it i love it i love it it's all future and young thug yeah. and i love it we all have our guilty pleasure music but the most recent album kenton did with his brother avin definitely served a deeper purpose there's a story behind it that we can all connect with even if it like it didn't like i did like the message wasn't for you specifically yeah. you still can listen to and go I understand everything that's going on here and there's a flow and there's an mm-hmm. understand we're trying to say something important yeah. here there's depth finding your voice and purpose as a musician or any artist is hard but it's even harder to find monetary success was there ever a point in your music um an artistic career where you were like I'm never gonna it's never gonna fucking happen for me I suck oh all and the then, time right now but then like do like how do you kind of overcome that I think that's where we talk about letting go of expectation and like understanding that art um, going back to our original point, which is we have made it such a huge part of our lives that art has to be some sort of capital progression. So it has the capitalist concept has to be put on art and say, you have to have this amount of achievements. You have to make this amount of uh, streams or this amount of money, you know, whatever it is. And so the numbers and numbers and all your care. And so you're, you're working towards this concept, which is a, fabricated idea of how art should be consumed and produced and so obviously we all need to live obviously we all need to pay our bills i'm not saying that you should forget all that completely Mm -hmm. um but whenever as soon as i remembered that art has that place in the world and it always will have that place in the world i don't have any expectation as to how quote unquote successful in that concept of capitalism i will i will be or could be so uh, whenever I when I started to realize that, which was maybe like four or five years ago, that's when I was able to get let let go of what that means uh, and sort of not worry about what the next things are gonna happen. Yeah, I guess it took it took a moment of being like a little bit sort of in a dark place a little bit, just to go okay, the world has asked you to do this. This is what you believe you're entitled to this calling of like making music and writing music and doing all that. That's what you told yourself forever and ever. It's you know, you're attaching it to your identity. It's all part of you. And if you don't make it, you will make it, quote unquote. Then you will be a loser or something, whatever. 
And so I got to that point where I was starting going, okay, well, it's, I don't think it's going to happen for me in that sense. So what am I going to do? Um, and so I just needed to take a moment to realize what art needs to be. It needs to be a detached from this capitalist right. concept. And as soon as you remove yourself from it, then you're like, oh, the expectation's not there. I don't need to do anything. I just need to make the stuff that I like to make. And if it's received that way and there's some sort of capitalist monetary sort of value attached to it at some point, then that's great. That's great for me just to pay my bills. I don't give a shit any other way. It's fantastic, but it doesn't matter. I'll find my, I'll find a way to make my bills somewhere else. So we've established that being an artist isn't easy. You can go to school or take a class, but the thing with art is you need to have a certain kind of tenacious passion and artistic vision. So is this something that we're born with or do we develop this kind of third eye over time? That's the question I always have is it nurture because are we, because even, you know, they're doing, they did study, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know about the the specifics of the study, but when you, when you do, um, you sit a baby down and they you play like an A minor or a C major and like and they're not going to know that those are <laughs> particularly have like uh, 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 emotions that we've attached to them verbal words that make sense like C major is like sort of victorious and sort of like nice mm-hmm. and A minor is sort of like diminishing and yeah. like kind of like sad a little bit yeah. but we we've just decided that when did we decide that why do we like the music that we like people keep on telling you Companies keep on telling you, corporations keep yeah, on telling you, other people you meet, this is, so great. this is great, this is great, this is great, you're going to love this. And so then you go you go into it with already a predetermined set of like expectations. I grew up listening to 70s rock and roll because of my dad, and I still love it. But somewhere along the line, I took a liking to rap, R&B, and even country music. I know that like when I grew up, I listened to very folky, like my mom would always listen to folky female driven hardcore feminist music so now 24 years later when i hear that sound like i did when i heard beth hart or like i was saying ani defranco it's very reminiscent and it's got this like it's the nature versus that's how i was raised off this music when i hear something like we were talking about country music it doesn't resonate with me no but it does for someone else right 100 like i have the same feeling with uh sade i don't know if you guys know sade is at all but she's an r&b artist from the 90s um she's fantastic but i grew up with shade being played in the background of every single thing i was doing as a child <laughs> and like they you know uh, there's like seven albums that she has or something like that but um camping trips shade was being played you know and so whenever i listen to certain songs i'm like holy shit i'm just so thrown back, back. Like, yeah that's yeah music that but it also it's inspiring the way i write like mm-hmm. when i listen to some of the songs that i'm writing i go oh this is that kind of like weird you know wooden uh, clock sort of sound that I've done which is like you know doing a, a reverb sort of delay thing it's the same production that Shade had from like a 90s song that she has mm-hmm. you know and I'm like oh great so I'm obviously pulling from this yeah but I'm not only identifying it now because I'm listening to it back to back but like you know there's tons of stuff like yeah. that, that you're pulling from well I think for a lot of people the music that you grew up listening to 
has a huge influence on what you listen to now. But it's also the antithesis of what you grew up with too. Yeah, like sometimes it's like you listen to what your family listens to yeah. and you go, I don't, I, I don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily land for me. So I got to go find something else. Mm -hmm. And so then you go find something else. And what, what is offered to you is whatever is available in the pop world. And depending on what you're listening to, like hip hop is huge. So it's, and it's a, at its core rebellious music. So, um, you know, that will be something that a younger person would listen to. And yeah. you go, Oh shit, this is, you know, I don't necessarily, you know, Re uh, resonate with all the messages that are being said but the concept is rebellious yeah. so if the concept's yeah. rebellious yeah. i will get with it you know? yeah so that's what, like i love metal music that's so like metal's my, the same thing I love yeah. but i never listened to metal as a kid never really listened to it as a teenager whatever and then all of a sudden i kind of became like my identity had changed and then i started to ask myself like do i love metal music or do i love the culture that it brings metal is a great example of of that type of music as well that it is rebellious in nature it's counterculture it's anti-government uh, style music um, and when you're there you're with the so those same people yeah. you're like sweet we're all here for that reason yeah um yeah and so i mean hip-hop offers the same thing uh for the most part yeah. um and uh i think it did also very early like back back in the day and i think it's kind of like veered off that very like again this very misfit like kind of subtext of people yeah. that listen to hip hop. It's very underground. Right. You weren't really hearing it ever unless you were actually at a venue that yeah. and like back in the day, you weren't even allowed to play hip hop. It had right. to be underground. It had to be in someone's basement or it had to be at this. So now that it's kind of the narrative, it's changed a little bit. Um, like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know about the progression. Like, well, what do you think about the progression yeah, of music? Hip hop as an example has moved into being primarily uh, a rebellious sort of like genre only. And then because it, I think the latest stats were like it took up 33% of the pop music market at some point. Maybe these are a couple of years ago, these, these, these numbers, but essentially it took over other music like rock and yeah. roll and things like that, that were, we're holding the top for many, many years. Um, and so when it does that, um, you're going to still have that rebellious concept happening because it comes from that. Um, but, but the subject matter has changed. So yeah, now it's all about capitalist yeah. concepts, like getting your money, getting your this, getting your that. Yeah, you know? and like when I think of someone like Kendrick Lamar, who's, who like raps very emotively, very about being like a young black man and the kind of diversity and adversity that he had to face and all this different stuff, I'm assuming, again, as a consumer, I don't know her, but I'm assuming that's very difficult to like when people don't receive that as like really what it's the purpose of it. Um, and then they take something like a more like, let's go to the club and like fucking twerk and like yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm assuming that's probably very frustrating. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it must be. Uh, you know, um, Kendrick Lamar, uh, Good Kid, Mad City was one of the albums that got me Amazing. really, really, really excited about making music. Like that was like because from a production perspective, I lost my mind as soon as I yeah, heard it. I was like, crazy. holy shit, he's like him and his team are they're shifting and moving at every corner and everything's connected still. Um, there's songs feel like they're moving into each other, but they don't, um, the skits in between are yeah, building that. these, um, again, you know, there I don't come from, story yeah, that. it's, it's a, you're, you're listening to a movie in a way. Um, and that to me is really special when you yeah. hear a song, when you hear an album front to back that has that narrative. And I think that's what you're trying to do with mixed feelings. I don't know if we landed all the way through that, but there's a sort of a narrative, that we're trying to build throughout. Um, but yeah, you know, like with Kendrick Lamar's album, Good Kid, Mad City, it, you were introduced to a world that 
for me coming not not living in Compton not coming up yeah, with that kind of perspective I don't know I know nothing about that right you know you know uh coming up in Champlain Heights in Vancouver <laughs> you know everyone has their own issues but like this is a Very specific different. American um black issue that, that he's talking about and he's like building and like you know through the lens of Compton um and uh if you you know you may never know anything about that yeah. coming from a different part of the world now Kendrick Lamar has shown you through his music this is what it looks like you know this is an example of what it looks like um and uh i take let me take you on a a journey you know and then you can learn about it you know so it's cool ketton already spoke about the visuals associated with this new album but what we wanted to know were his thoughts on the use of social media he agreed that there are a lot of negatives it creates a skewed self-image lacks emotional connection and platforms such as Instagram use certain algorithms that prevent him from being able to share the music he creates with all of his followers. Despite all that, he shared with us an example of one of the many ways social media can be positive. We put this album out, and I can't tell you how many people have just sent me and my brother messages uh, that have been so moving, just insanely moving. Like people just talking about how, like for the first time in their life, they felt acknowledged and they have identity. that you know that they felt like they're being heard uh they can now use this information to talk to their friends and their family about how they're feeling about their experiences and so this is where i'm like whoa and so you know obviously i'm very moved by that i try to respond to everything that comes in um but yeah it's been like a good like you know 30 or 40 like very sincere powerful messages and it kind of probably like kind of validates and reiterates really yeah. the purpose of what you're doing yeah it feels good it feels good that yeah. we're doing it the way we and that's actually really the value that i'm yeah. the, 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 of it all i think it goes back to like we would it would have been easier for you to sing a love song or whatever but you yeah. chose to like to be more true to your identity and yourself and the fact that people are receiving that the way that you intended yeah. it to be received yeah. is like probably so that's fulfilling. what's great about it i think yeah. you you hear people talk about the project the way that you intended it to be Ketten released this album with his brother I wanted to know what it was like working on a project with a sibling. I think if anything, if you're close to somebody, doesn't matter who, what it is, uh, your 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 sibling, your partner, uh, family, whatever, friends. Um, if you're really close to them, you you should have some sort of there should be a little bit of tension yeah. at some point about something. You yeah, because if like, there's not, nothing gets created. Yeah, right? exactly. So my brother and I work. We're, our our thing is like when we're in the writing zone, we like people. Have, uh i've heard us talk about the project that we're working on like music and they're like you guys are really like kind of a little bit tense with each other like <laughs> you know, like it's like there's a lot of yeah, passion there, a lot of inti- been, like, intensity heads? no the thing is people think that we're getting really like intense and like kind of yeah. angry at each other or like a little upset or something we're not at all we're very uh, passionate about the project that we're yeah. working on and, like we're so excited that the that the the sound is the right sound or we can't find the right sound so we're we're constantly communicating to each other about that. And so we get a little bit intense. Yeah. Wednesday and I know that dynamic pretty well. We have the look. Like uh, this bitch looks at me and I'm just like, oh, you want to go outside? <laughs> We're going to step outside for a second. <laughs> but that's what makes it great. Working on a project with someone you love and trust makes the experience even better. Accepting each other's quirks and like little yeah. weird shit that we do. Like my brother, he, you know, uh, he does some things. I do some things. And we're like, we just at some point, we're just like, that's how you are. And that's how I am. And you're used to it. And we're used to it. And and let's work on our strengths. When you're working with someone in any capacity, it's extremely important that there's an open line of communication. 
all the people in the room should be able to receive and 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 also um uh give uh critique and i think that kind of goes back to yeah like that goes back to like your team the people that you choose to surround yourself with are literally the most essential part of your entire life and how do you like have you had people in your life that you've had to kind of like dispose of not dispose of but like cut off because like (laughs) i'm a fucking asshole just you're sorry you're disposable to me but like that you've had to like cut off because they weren't necessarily like in line they were adjacent to your core values no i can't remember off the top of my head but i'm sure there's people that have come in and out that have been you will agree that being a musician and an artist or just like a fucking person that like the people that you choose to surround yourself with. i also think that happens naturally as well though you start to distance yourself and you're probably like whoa i haven't spoken to that person or seen that person in a very long time and it's not even necessarily like a negative thing it's just you can have somebody that just you don't have the same you don't have the same outlook you don't have the same uh goals you don't have the same thing you know things you want to do in a day when you from when you wake up to when you go to bed and it doesn't have to be a negative thing you don't have to be antagonistic towards each other it doesn't have to be enemies um but it just people how do you cut that how do you cut that off like let's say i time but like okay let's say that i'm getting into the music industry and i want to write songs but my uh my team sucks my team super sucks and they're like super not in line with my values like how do you kind of draw that line of like you know, I need to go be somewhere else or do something else or I need to go find new people because clearly my vision is different than yours. Right. Like, what does that if look like? Very, if, you know, if you know that for sure, you really are like, I think it's probably something you've built over some time oh, yeah. that you've gone over like six yeah. months, a year, so two years, three years. Yeah. 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 I think you're going, oh, this is not working at all. And then it's, sometimes you just bubble up and you're like, I'm done here. Yeah. To quote author Roy T. Bennett, even if you cannot change all the people around you, you can change the people you choose to be around. So we encourage you to join us and surround yourself with people who keep you inspired. Now, before one of my favorite parts of the podcast, the 20 questions, here's Ketten's last piece of advice for all you musicians out there. Your first take and your last take are your best. Yeah, 100%. Everything else in between is absolute shit. Never even, don't even listen to it. Skip it, delete it. Yeah. Your first take has all the emotion. Your last take has all the technical, like, cuts in, you know? Yeah, for, you know, general rule of thumb. And without further ado, here's a bunch of random questions that we had get an answer. If you could be an Olympic athlete, what sport would you compete? Probably soccer, probably okay. football. I mean, but I, I, you know, yeah. Probably soccer. What do you think is the greatest invention of all time? Uh, air flight, like planes. Mm, I, yeah. You get yeah. in a plane yeah. and you're like, holy you're shit. Like, you look yeah, out I that window. Fly. You're yeah. like, holy shit, how do they even do this? If what do you think about the fact that we can get into a vessel and yeah. fly into the, the air? The in the air. It's, it's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. Like, like, next time you like, do that, like, look out the window and just go, oh my God. Like, you can literally <laughs> just, you, you fall out this plane and... I don't know. You don't. I, I don't even. You can't even. Yeah. You you can see the clouds for the first time. Yeah. When you're above the clouds. No and one's like, ever seen the clouds like yeah. that ever. No. Over humanity until the planes yeah. were invented. Yeah. Oh, that, you know what? That makes it even cooler. Yeah. yeah. It, what's yeah, the, what's the chick? The airplane chick? Amelia Earhart or something? Yeah. Is she the airplane chick or did I just make that up? Like on the Amelia Earhart, her, her plane went missing and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was, okay, so I was okay. on the right topic. Yeah. yeah. But what are you getting? I don't know. I just at? like I feel like that was my association to airplanes. When I think of like the the, the evolution of airplanes and like the world of airplanes, Orville I think Renbacher? of Renbacher. Is that the person who made the planes? Orville Renbacher is a popcorn. popcorn. 
the Wright Brothers. <laughs> Orville Renbacher's popcorn. Popcorn, amazing yeah, invention. Really good yeah. invention. That's okay. insane as well. Those have are you the popcorn. The... <laughs> have you seen, seen popcorn pop? Have you seen popcorn pop? What can you do today that you couldn't do a year ago? I'm much better at mixing than I've ever been. Nice. Uh, and so that's really like uh, helped my, my writing game a lot. If you had to give up alcohol or coffee, which would you choose? Alcohol. Okay. Because yeah. I don't think I could go throughout the day without coffee. If you were the only human left on Earth, what would you do first? The problem with this is that humanity is based off of other people being around. Mm. So there really is no other point for me being around. I think you'd probably like pursue myself. trying to find other people, even though yeah. like, even though you were told that there was no one else 100%, but you don't know that. What is the highest thing on your bucket list? Um, like go to Antarctica. It's one of the weirdest places. Yeah, it's super weird. If you had to give a TED Talk tomorrow, what would it be about? Uh, capitalism. The goods and the bad. I mean, capitalism has raised most people out of poverty yeah. across the world. So yeah. you can't really hate, hate on it too much. If you could steal the talent or intelligence from one other person, who would it be? Who would you steal from? This is grammatically incorrect, but yeah. Going back to the singing thing, I don't know who I'd take it from. Frank Ocean. If I could sing mm, Frank Oh my Ocean. God, that's my boy Brilliant. right there. Oh Brilliant answer. All right, that was Frank well Ocean received. Is... <laughs> that answer was clearly well received. Well, Frank Ocean is my favorite, so yeah. I'm, I think we're in good company here. If you could teleport anywhere in the world right now, where other than this couch, um, where would you go? <laughs> um, I want to I want to check out like parts of Europe. I think like I don't know, maybe like Italy or Spain or something. It's very mm. generic. I've been to East Africa, and that was that was my other choice as well. Like go back there. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, one of the two. Um, what's the most boring superhero you come up with? Like yeah. one that already exists? No, just to make it up in your head. I feel like organizational guy. <laughs> like, you know, I like someone who can like organize stuff. like boxes and stuff. That's it's yeah. pretty boring. Would you become a professional bank robber if you knew you could never get caught? Yeah, for sure. At the same time, it would the whole fun I think is almost getting caught. So yeah. The illusion of getting caught had to be there. Would you rather have the superpower of strength or invisibility? Invisibility. What's the best twenty dollars you've ever spent? It was like a concert I went to. Maybe it was twenty bucks. What's your favorite Disney Channel original movie? Oh, One. I got a few. I think probably. Oh, um, you do. Like movie, right? Movie original yeah. Disney Channel original movie oh, though. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. So I'm let's thinking go like, like back with. Remember, you guys don't remember the Disney Channel? I know. I remember Recess. Oh, are y'all? But it, yeah, yeah, no, no for sure. But uh, they say the movie. movie. Let's go with Disney movie then. Just okay, make it a little bit easier. Disney movie. Yeah, yeah, like I'm talking about like Aladdin yeah. and yeah. like Beauty and the Beast yeah. Yeah. and shit and like I would say let's say Lion King. Yeah, I think Lion King is the one. What's the most ridiculous fact you know? I just learned this from a friend of mine that, uh, and I don't know how true it is, but I think it's weird um, that Google was supposed to be called Back Rub. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking yeah. So we could have been calling things like, oh, just back rub that. <laughs> yeah. So that's my little, that's a little bit. That's actually fantastic. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Prince of Persia. If you had your own flag, what would be on it? Uh, tree. Why does a round pizza come in a square box? Because we like squares. Humans love square. Look we at, like to look fit at everything. Look we at everything. Squares. Look at everything around you right now. Everything is a square or a variant of it. Yeah. Everything. Like, okay. Okay. They really just fucked me up there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Our windows. We're inside a square right now. Whoa. What the actual fuck? And then there's all oh, look at all the squares out Stop there. Stop it! You're making me really <laughs> inception square inception. Yeah. Would you rather be turned into a hologram or into two dimensions? 
flat. I get, oh, two dimensional is flat. Ten, right? Yeah. yeah. Or hologram, so, uh, probably a hologram. Yeah, obviously. You know, I'm used to being already three dimensional, just like it's transparent. Would you rather not shower for a week or not brush your teeth for a week? Well, that's a tough one. Ooh, I would both rather... are equally horrible. Mm, I would rather not shower. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. I think the showering teeth. thing you can get over because, like, if you've done camping at all, yeah, you I think we've all not showered for almost at least a week. Some point in our lives, we've done something like that. If Batman and Superman fought, who would win? Stupid Batman. Okay, nice. Knew the answer right away. Batman has worldly powers and Superman has unworldly powers. Okay. It's very clear. This is the last question. What's (laughs) the manliest thing you've ever done? I mean, that's a, such a gender specific. Yeah, I know. I don't know if I can answer offensive. that. Super offensive. I don't. Yeah. I don't want you to answer that. It yeah, depends how you measure being a man, I guess. Yeah. Right. That's true. Actually. Yeah. Okay. Uh, to be uh, most manly thing to be as honest as I can be with the people around me Aww. that uh, don't necessarily want to receive that kind of honesty. That right there is just a small example of the kind of person he is—a talented musician, but an even better human being. Go check out Ketton under Cave Music and St. Ivory on all streaming platforms. I've been told he may be coming out with a solo album this year, amongst other things. We're working on some new stuff. My brother and I, uh, St. Ivory, we got a new song that we're working on right now. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, it's in its uh, end stages. We're on anything that you listen to, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, whatever you listen to, we're on all that uh, called St. Ivory. Um, yeah, and you can check us out. We have uh, an album out called Mixed Feelings. So that's yeah. what we're doing. Um, and more to come. I'll be sober with some luck. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to episode five of the Better Art Bureau podcast. A very special thank you to our friend Ketten for joining us for such a great conversation. We can't wait to see where you go from here and feel very lucky to have you in our lives. You can find us on Instagram at the Better Art Bureau to stay up to date on all things to do with the podcast and visit thebab.ca. That's where we'll have show notes, videos, a blog. We don't really know yet, but it's also where you can contact us. So if you're an artist and you'd like to come on the show, please reach out. That is why we're here to give you a platform to come on, tell your story and inspire the rest of us. Next week, Wednesday and I will be sitting down to answer all of your questions about the Better Art Bureau. We're going to talk about the past six months, what it's been like launching a podcast, and all the crazy stories that have come along with it. So until then, like, share, comment, subscribe, whatever you want to do. But more importantly, stay safe, love each other, and let's all create better art.